0: I want to talk about an adaptive strategy process, which is a concept from the book, your strategy needs a strategy by the Boston consulting group and an adaptive strategy comes in handy and is appropriate for businesses that are in an unpredictable environment and you can't really change your environment. So the classical approach, which is go big, drive value, drive down costs, be one of the top three, is appropriate for an industry in which there's little change and you can't really change things, so scale is really important. In, in adaptive environments, you know, things can change quickly and you need to, as a company, develop a bottom-up strategy for identifying the need to change and making incremental little experiments to see what works. But what's important with an adaptive strategy in doing those experiments is to rely on actual data rather than just gut feel. I mean, obviously gut feel is how you develop hypotheses to figure out which experiments to do in the first place, but you need some sort of data set to, to figure out what's working. And an example they used is a clothing brand called Zara, which the in the clothing business, you know, normally what you're doing is you're coming up with a couple seasons worth of clothing per year. So maybe that's your fall, your spring, and, and maybe your summer season. And what you try and do is you try and, you know, anticipate consumer demand, make your clothes, ship them in, hope they sell. But the problem with that is what about the stuff that doesn't sell? Anytime you walk into a clothing store, you'll see, you know, clearance racks where stuff's marked down 50%. Well, that's obviously not their high flying items. That's kind of the crap left over that no one wanted to buy. And apparently in the retail industry, retail clothing, that's up to 50% of the clothing ends up on the sales rack. So Zara wanted to figure out a way to avoid having that happen. And what they did was they moved their supply chain closer to the U S In you know, from China to, uh, to, to Mexico, and for in Europe over to Turkey, I believe. And that allowed them, while the manufacturing is more expensive there, that allowed them to get it done quicker and to market much faster. So they'd sit there in the season and be able to identify trends and move towards those. So, you know, they'd start the season with things they, they pretty much knew they were gonna work, but they weren't taking as many risks on items that may work because someone saw it in Vogue magazine. You know, and, and and stuff like that. They they're able to identify trends kind of midstream and get them to market much quicker. And as a result, their the amount of items that they had to throw on clearance went way down. And also, they had a lot more, you know, inventory turns, which is, you know, essentially how many times, how many times your inventory turns over each year. Well, the more your inventory turns over, obviously, you're. You're, you're making the item, you're selling it, you're reinvesting those profits, making the item again, selling it. And the more you can do that, the more profitable you're gonna be per year because your fixed costs are gonna remain the same. And I think that's a really interesting way of you know working in an environment that is traditionally very unpredictable because who knows what fashion styles are going to be next year. Now, there are some fashion brands that would move towards what Boston Consulting Group would consider a stable environment. So that's when it's unpredictable. Yes, but you can also shape it. And the more branding power you have, the more you can shape your environment. Cause that's basically what branding is, right? It's changing your environment to make people buy your stuff. Now a brand like Zara can't really do that. A brand like, uh, and this is probably wrong, and I'm showing my age. But the Gap, which has a gigantic marketing budget, you know, they or Nike, well, they can they can for they can uh, push trends forward. When Nike does the new Chris Paul shoe, or the new um, uh, man, I'm showing my age because I my kids buy it, and it's uh, oh man, uh, he was on the Nets, uh, Ky- Kyrie Irving. that that when they do his shoe well, they're going to Kyrie Irving and saying, we're paying you X to market this shoe and, and you're going to wear it this year and we're going to sell it to kids with your name on it. Well, that's shaping your environment. Zara can't do that. It's they have much less of an ability to change their environment. Their environment is less malleable. So they have to rely on identifying trends. Yes doing little experiments, yes, to see what sells, and then quickly getting that into mass production and into their stores. So it's a bottom-up approach rather than a top-down approach Nike would use where they market first and then sell the shoes. Zara has to see what's working with their clothing and then have their supply chain streamlined in order to get those products out to market as fast as possible. A lot of tech businesses are going to be really the same. The book mentions Google allowing some of their workers up to 20% free time to develop new products. And as you'll recall over the years, you know, Google has done a lot of different products that never panned out like Google Glass, the eyewear, you know, I remember you'll see stuff that comes on the Google site and then it comes off and they develop and jettison new products all the time, so do companies they own like YouTube. Well, you know, it's interesting, because you'll read, you know, articles about some pundits saying, oh, this was a massive failure, blah, 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 but you're, you're ignoring the fact that what Google is doing is using an adaptive strategy to a, to a quickly changing environment and they're trying to introduce new things bottom up approach from some of their mid-level executives trying new things and then they're figuring out what works through data and jettison jettison jettisoning jet those things that don't work you know 3m would be another classic example of that they always had a program where they allowed their their engineers a lot of autonomy to develop new products. And that's famously how post-it notes were developed. And that's a changing environment where you have to constantly develop new products for your customers, and you have to have a strategic approach within your firm to go ahead and identify those opportunities and push them down. So that's an adaptable strategy and when to use it. Again, it's when you're in a constantly changing environments, very unpredictable, but you can't really affect change on your circumstances. Your environment is not malleable. Hey everyone, another review uh, from an article from the Boston Consulting Group on strategy. This one is another old one. Uh, This is by Bruce Henderson, the the founder, I believe, of, of Boston Consulting Group from 1970. And it's his. It's called the product portfolio. So the idea is, and this is especially back in the '70s when you had a lot of conglomerate type businesses that would have multiple divisions, multiple business, multiple service lines, uh, similar to what I do as a CFO now with with our business. But um, very very popular back then. Think your your GE's, um, you know. Uh, d- different conglomerates back then. That's the best example. Can't think of any others off the top of my head. Um, Westinghouse, things like that, and they would have product portfolios. So you know, you they usually think of a portfolio as like a bunch of diversified stocks. That's what we think of it today. But for businesses, you know, they would have different businesses within the main business, and those would come together to. You know, provide return to investors, and why do you have multiple businesses? And this is a good uh, consolidation of of why you do that. But the idea is, is like, look, eventually, no matter how good your core business is, it's going to produce a lot of cash, a lot of profits. But you've got to reinvest those and create new businesses that are high growth to eventually generate more cash. So this is an article that uh, where Henderson goes over his his product portfolio, and he goes into four quadrants to go into that. So, you know, I want to talk through that, but kind of work through a few things. So he says there's four rules that determine the cash flow of a product. And he says margin and cash generated are a function of high market share. High margins and high market share go together. This is a matter of common observation explained by the experience curve effect. So the experience curve effect, I'll do videos on, on this as well, but... Essentially, the more experience you get in a business for a variety of reasons, the lower your costs and the higher your profit margins. So as you get more accounts, you can have more of your GNA expenses spread over, you know, a higher revenue stream and your, your profit margins will go up. Um, so that's a simple thing. As you get better at a business, you'll be able to do it at a lower cost. You'll be able to charge a cheaper fee to your customers and you'll be able to drive out competition from newer competitors who don't have the same experience levels you do and can't perform the same service or build the same product for the same cost. So that's what he's talking about there. Growth requires cash input to finance additional assets. The added cash required to hold share is a function of growth rates. What's he saying there? So if you wanna grow a business, you've gotta invest back in that business. So you know, in a real simple, Say say you do a service, and you do a service at multiple locations around the country. Well, every time you add a new location, it's not going to be profitable at first. You've got to go in there, and you've got to spend resources to get your business at that location up and running. You've got startup expenses, you've got to buy equipment, you've got to build products, you've got to you know, invest in recruiting people, you've got to invest in training managers. There's a lot of startup costs that go into services at new locations. If you're a product company, say you, you know, say you want a company that does a lot of and this is true, there's a lot of companies that they build products for Walmart that sell on Walmart shelves. Well every time they come up with a new product, it's not going to make money right away. They've got to invest in the research and development, uh, manufacturing costs selling costs to the Walmart reps, the Sam's Clubs reps, the Costco reps, whoever, wherever they're selling to. There's costs that go into that. So that takes cash and it takes investment whenever you come up with a new product or a new service. High market share must be earned or bought. Buying market share requires additional increment of investment. So just what I was talking about there. You don't just get market share because you're a good business person or a good company. You've got to invest up front in new products and new services and the distribution of those products and services through your sales channels in order to build additional business or product lines that will eventually turn a profit. And oftentimes, initially, you're not going to earn any money. You may have to invest a million dollars to get a product that in the first year, it doesn't even make a million. You have a loss. Maybe you have a loss for two years, but eventually you get returns on those products or those services. No product market can grow indefinitely. The payoff from growth must come when the growth slows or it never will. The payoff is cash that cannot be reinvested in that product. This is the key. So a product or a service that you're starting up, you've got to invest cash to get it going. Then you've got to invest cash in more resources to distribute it. You've got to have additional salespeople. You've got to uh, buy additional products. Uh, plants or locations to produce your product. You've got to build or rent additional buildings to house salespeople for your service, administrative expenses. There's a lot of investment that goes to gaining market share. And as you gain more market share, you've got to invest additional resources to make sure your operations are tight and that you can actually perform the product the service or build the product that you're selling. So oftentimes, you won't turn a profit initially and you won't turn a profit for a while until you gain enough market share where you are a leader in your industry. So let's take an example. So Amazon, for the first several years of its existence, didn't turn a profit. It could have. You know, when Amazon kind of displaced Barnes and & Nobles and Borders as the chief bookstore in America, they could have rested on their laurels and started turning profit. They could have said, we got you know, a bunch of the market. Um, We're going to quit investing in new business lines, new services. We're just going to make sure that we earn a ton of profits and books. And that would have been a good business of itself, and that would have been totally fine. But what they did is they kept investing in their website, in their tech, in their uh, their, uh, storage capacity, um, in their product lines. A lot of investment went into Amazon to get it to where it is today. And instead of just being the biggest bookstore in America, it's the biggest company in America. So, you know, that's an example of that. But what, what else they're saying is, you know, the real payoff from product or service comes from investing early on and keep investing even at a loss or at a a, a negligible profit in order to grow your market share. If you just have a low market share, you know, that that's fine. But you're not going to get those economies of scale that come with higher market share. So if you have 1% of a billion-dollar industry, that's great. You're obviously earning a lot of money. But if you have 70%, you know, $700 million of revenue, that's a lot more, um, a lot more revenue to spread all of your costs over. And your profit margins are going to go up. So, you know, as a new business, you could sit there a lot of times and you could, you know, get a 10% market share and go, all right, this is great. Let's uh, let's kind of keep our marketing budget consistent. Let's not invest in new salespeople and we start turning a profit. And, you know, maybe that's great for, for your goals or lifestyle and maybe you'll be able to peel off a lot of money, you know, buy a bigger house, buy some more stuff. But the downside of that is... As you get more market share, your costs go down and your profit margins go up even more. So you've got to you've got to think about continuing to invest to gain that market share. But there's a point where that extra market share there there's there's really no point. And you know, eventually, you've got so much of the market that incremental dollars in investment they won't get you any more market share. So th- this article kind of talks about what do you do at that point. So Products with a high market share and slow growth, so again, you've got a high market share. Different businesses, that's going to be different, but let's say you got 70% of the market and, you know, if you invest more and keep your profit at zero because you're investing more, you're not going to get to 80%, okay? Low growth. Well, that's when it's time to make that a cash cow. You sh- your profit margin should be good. You should be able to quit investing in new marketing for that product, more sales forces for that product, more support services for that product, and you should be having a healthy net profit margin and be just generating cash hand over fist. And that's the goal. And on one hand, you could rest on your laurels, but on the other hand, everything eventually goes out of style. A new competitor, a new disruptor comes in, and you'll lose that. So... You know, what do you do at that point? Well, that's where this quadrant comes in. And I'm going to explain the different the, the four levels of the quadrant first. So they talk about high growth. Well, first of all, we just talked about the cash cow. So this is that low growth, high market share business. It's just churning cash. Okay, it's a cash cow. The goal is to, okay, at that point, we've got to reinvest. And the minute you reinvest, you're going to reinvest in something where you don't have much market share. But hopefully it's a high growth area. And those are those question marks. So Henderson talks about these question mark businesses as part of your overall product portfolio where you're taking money from your cash cow and you're investing in new business lines that are first question marks. You're grow- hopefully you're growing and you know, hopefully you eventually turn into that high growth where you get a good percentage of market share. If you take that low growth, I'm sorry, uh, high growth, but low market share business, and it becomes a high market share business that's also high growth, well, that's a star business. So take any of your tech companies nowadays, and they were that at definitely at one point, may still be, you know, arguably. So Amazon became a high market share business that was still growing like crazy. So once it went past just being a bookstore and invested in, In uh, additional business lines to sell, you know, first videos, then, you know, consumer products, and now it just sells everything. It's still arguably a star business because it's still growing like crazy, especially in this pandemic year. But it's also got a high market share. I mean, who really competes with them other than, you know, Alibaba in in China, but certainly in America, Walmart competes, um, you know, but Amazon has a high market share and is still high growth. You know, at, at some point, and this, this may be true now, but definitely at some point, they're not going to continue growing. And then it's time to, you know, they become a cash cow where it's low growth, high market share, and they've got to continue investing. So if you look at their their individual business lines, that's true. So the, book, the bookstores, I'm, I doubt they're gaining much market share in their bookstores right now. And I doubt, not their bookstores, but their book service. Um, where they're selling books. I doubt their their market share in that goes, much, it goes up from year to year. So what do they do with that cash? It's a cash cow, that, that book selling business. It generates a ton of cash because they get a ton of margin off it because there's not much competition. They have a high market share. And they reinvest that in these question marks that gain additional business. So all of their businesses start off as question marks. So when they did the bookstore, it was wildly successful, and they went into um, uh, videos. At first, that was a question mark. Hey, we're investing in selling videos on our online platform. Well, eventually, that gained a high market share of the video selling business, and that became a cash cow as well, because eventually, they had so much market share, it was a a low growth business, especially now that they are selling videos with Prime and stuff like that. consumer goods, you know, um, when they did the, uh, the self-published books that was eventually, Hey, we're taking cash from our bookstore, our videos, our other, you know, cash cows, and we're going to invest in helping, uh, authors self-published books, uh, Kindle, things like that. So it's Amazon is a story of constantly, you know, products becoming cash cows, they reinvest in other things that are question marks because when they start them off, there's no market share. They eventually become high growth, high market share businesses and eventually they get so much market share that, well, they're not growing anymore, so they're cash cows and the process re- repeats itself. You know, Google, same thing. You know, at the beginning, they didn't have much much of the uh, much market share in even the search engine, right? You know, Yahoo. Um, you know, back then, uh, you know, ask G's, use lycos all that stuff, but eventually they gained more and more market share. And at the beginning, you know, Google, they didn't make any money. They didn't turn a profit. They, you know, would eventually gain so much market share in the search engine area to the point where, you know, it became a verb, you Google stuff that. Their search engine is just a cash cow. They get all that advertising revenue. Everyone goes to google you know they they still reinvest in it obviously with you know search algorithms um, uh, you know AI tech but really, like if you just peeled their search engine off that 's making a ton of margin and a ton of cash and they just reinvested in other stuff, so they obviously bought youtube um, and then obviously YouTube is and I think when they bought it, it was probably at least a star business where it had high market share as well as high growth. Um, I don't know how much that's growing you know, relative to uh, other platforms in the market. And, and that's the thing about these real successful tech companies is you can argue they never even become cash cows. They're high growth, high uh, market share businesses that also spit off a ton of cash. So I guess that's the star business that's the, the ultimate is when you have that going on. But, you know, at some point, you know, if they were high growth and high and high market share and they could continue to get market share, they would just continue to reinvest. But they do take that cash and invest in other businesses. And Google is constantly doing that. AI is their, you know, chief example now, but they're constantly doing that. Um, Tesla, you know, started off as a question mark. Uh, you know, then they sold a bunch of cars. And Elon Musk could have said, hey, let's quit investing, let's take off some of that cash but they're continuing to invest, and that's why they don't turn a profit. So they're a high, you know, they're they're growing like crazy, high growth. They have a high market share of the electric cars. These star businesses though, they don't necessarily spit off cash yet. And Tesla doesn't. It's still trying to grow like crazy. But there is gonna be a point where Tesla isn't continuing to gain market share, and they're at a point where it's a cash cow, they're gonna to have to find other products. And for them, that may just be other cars. You know, they, you know, they just started trucks, um, you know, so even those businesses where they are continuing to grow, they do generate some cash where They sit there and addition, invest in additional businesses that are question marks that they hope that become stars and eventually become cash cows. So it's this virtuous, virtuous cycle. But I do think, and this goes to, you know, again, this article was written in the 70s. You know, what's changed today I would say that like a lot of our the, the top tech companies, what makes them so valuable is that they almost don't follow this model. In my last video, I said, you know, that the whole richness versus reach, uh, richness being the quality of your product and the, the, the robustness of the information or, or product that you're that you're selling, and the reach is how easily it gets out there to the marketplace. And there used to be a trade-off between richest richness and reach reach that you'd have to think about as a strategy for business. And a lot, a lot of tech companies are getting both. Well, a lot of tech companies now are still high mar, are, high micro, are high market share businesses, but they're still getting high growth. And they have so much scale that they're amazingly profitable. And I guess, you know, that's the type of business, you know, from a tech perspective that you would really want to invest in is one that can become one of those star businesses. And I heard this on, as I've said in other podcasts, this book, Boston Consulting Group on strategy. I heard about it on the Tim Ferriss show, and I keep doing these videos because it's one of the best books I've read. I heard about it from Richard uh, Richard Cook, Coke, K O C K. On he used to be a uh, a consultant for the Boston Strategy Group, and on the Tim Ferriss show, he talked a lot about these these star businesses, and that's what he looks for when he invests: is businesses that can become star businesses. And what he actually wrote a book on it, which I got to read because um, I'm excited to learn about that because he does focus more on tech type companies. But I think as I re- read through this article, what I think about the, the modern business world is there are a lot of companies where their growth just continues, even in their individual products. And I'm sure some of their products, they start not getting the growth. There's no point in reinvesting within them and their cash cows. But I think with the most valuable companies in the world, even their highly profitable products, a lot of them just continue to grow. You know, you think about Google search engine, it's continuing to grow. I don't know if it's as fast as it is. I don't know how many searches on the internet use Google. Maybe it's, you know, 80% and maybe they're trying to get to 90%. So it is still growing, I'm sure. But I think the more that you can stay in the star region for these tech companies and spit off cash, that's what's different than back, you know, when Henderson was writing this article in the seventies and he had conglomerates where there was just a natural cycle where things eventually didn't grow very much. And we actually, in our business, you know, cause we're a services business and, and a more traditional business, I, we definitely experienced that um, where, you know, some of our service lines, they just don't grow very much year over year no matter what we invest in them. And at that point, there's no point investing more money. They're cash cows. They kind of operate on their own. And we take those profits and we put them in other service lines that are question marks that we hope get to be high growth and high market share, become stars. But those in our business definitely always would eventually become cash cows where you're just not going to get the growth. now. What is interesting about this quadrant I haven't really talked about yet is this one down here, the Pets. That's businesses where they're low growth and low market share. Now, Henderson says you should just sell this off and redeploy that capital. Um, And we actually have one division service line where we are thinking about restructuring it because it's a pet. It's not really growing at all, and it doesn't have much of the market share. It's profitable, and we generate net profits off it. Um, we don't really reinvest in it at all. We don't buy new, get new sales staff. We don't, you know, uh, invest in you know trying to uh, drive new business or do new startups in, in that area because it's just it, it, there's not that much market share, we're not getting that much scale. There's no point. Now, he would say, you know, you guys should just sell that business, and for a variety of reasons, we're not there yet, and I don't think we'll get there where we're going to do that. We're just kind of redeploying that division, but we are thinking about it because it is a pet and saying, you know, what can we do to kind of redeploy that portfolio of services and those locations to turn them at least back into question marks where there is high growth and hopefully to start businesses that become cash cows. And in our portfolio of our divisions, we have one that's definitely a cash cow we have one that's high growth and getting to be a high market share. And we have a lot of question marks that we hope to get this cycle. We take our cash cow businesses, reinvest in our question marks. They become star businesses that eventually we can just start peeling off cash when they get to... When, at some point, they're not going to grow very much anymore. So we can just start peeling off cash and kind of repeat that circle. And he also talks about in this what he calls what does he call it? The the disaster sequence would would be if you have a question mark or a cash cow that eventually becomes a pet. So your cash cows, while I am talking about peeling off cash and you know investing them in question marks so that it can eventually become star businesses, you do need to maintain those cash cows and make sure you're constantly driving down costs if you can to you know get Make it so that competitors can't take away your market share because, and Henderson says this elsewhere, one of the keys to gaining market share and one of the benefits is you get experience, you lower costs, and you drive out competitors, but you can't get complacent and you can't just peel off so much cash that and charge your customers such a high price that you open the door for competitors to come in. You've got to constantly monitor that in order to maintain your cash cows. So... This quadrant and this idea of the star business as being the ultimate goal because those star businesses turn into cash cows, is a real paradigm shift and I think as if you're someone who invests in startups you know that's really something you should be looking for and again, what I think is the difference nowadays is there's a lot of businesses that you can be a star business for a long time, if not forever. And that's what these tech companies, and that's why they're so highly valued, is they're star businesses that may not even ever become cash cows. They're able to turn a gigantic profit and and have gigantic margins, even though they're still experiencing high growth. And, you know, e- but even within those tech companies, there are certain products or services that they provide that aren't growing necessarily that are their cash cows, that they're constantly reinvesting. But overall, they're a star business. Overall, Google is continuing a high market share and high growth. Overall, same thing with Amazon. Uh, same thing with, you know, even Twitter, things like that. So that's an a interesting way to think of your product portfolio within a business is that four-quadrant system of, you know, the star business, which is the ultimate goal that becomes the cash cow, reinvesting in those question marks, and those question marks once they get enough market share, their star businesses, and then avoiding the pets. It's an interesting way to think about businesses in general, but certain pro- certainly uh, the, the portfolio of products or services that you have within your business. Hope you enjoyed it.